Have you ever said this? I believe, but help my unbelief. Well, at the bottom of the mountain of transfiguration, Jesus lends into a father who says those words. And it's an issue of faith and an issue of the power of God. And it's today on Walk in Truth Radio. Welcome to Walk in Truth with Michael Lance. Walk in Truth is a ministry of Living Truth Christian Fellowship. It's our goal to build up believers and to reach out with God's truth to all people. And now, here's Pastor Michael. I believe, but is that where your faith is? I think a lot of people operate that way. And as we uh, watch the gospel accounts, we know that Jesus has been doing a faith-stretching work in the life of the apostles. We saw in Mark 6.52 that their hearts remained hard, but we saw Peter's great confession at Caesarea Philippi. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God, but I'm not sure they had put it all together, and right after that, Jesus began to show them. He was telling them, I'm going to Jerusalem. I'm going to be mocked, spit upon, mistreated, crucified. I'm going to die and rise on the third day. Very great detail. That's a prophecy. If that didn't happen, Jesus cannot be God. He cannot be the Messiah. He predicted his own death and resurrection. If the resurrection is just simply a metaphor, if it didn't really happen, then Jesus did not tell the truth, folks. So when you watch the History Channel and these people try to tell you that that's all it is, that resurrection is just a metaphor, thumbs down. Doesn't work. And so um, they went up on the Holy Mountain, the Mount of Transfiguration. Pastor Chris spoke on that a couple weeks ago and that mountain with Peter, James, and John was amazing. That mountain said a few things. It may have been Mount Hermon up in the north by Caesarea Philippi. That mountain said that Jesus is God, that he is deity. He was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, remember? And up on the mountain, it showed his deity. It also showed that there's life after death because up on that mountain appeared who? Moses and Elijah. The man of transfiguration shows that Jesus is God. It's not the only evidence we have that Jesus is God, but it, it affirms his deity. It affirms that there's life after death. It affirms it's a foretaste of the coming kingdom, and it's also kind of a, a look at the incarnation, the one who is glorious, the one who had the glory with his father before the world was, came down and he cloaked that glory in human flesh. And up on the mountain, they got a little uh, preview of coming attractions, or maybe you could say they got a really an understanding of what Jesus had been doing the whole time, which Philippians 2 talks about. He had been veiling his glory in humanity. That's the mystery of the incarnation. And you know, some scholars have put it this way, he kind of just gave them a glimpse of who he really is. The confession was awesome at Caesarea Philippi, but now Jesus did one of these oh, moments. And it's like, wow. Do you know who you're really dealing with? And Moses, representing the law, and Elijah, representing the prophets, both fade into the background, and the one that's left standing there is Jesus, because the whole Bible, the law and the prophets, are about him. 
Every page, Moses and Elijah fade into the background. And some scholars believe that Jesus is still radiating with some of the glory. We don't know for sure. But the reaction of the people when he comes down the mountain may imply, at least, that he's still radiating, kind of like Moses did when he met with God. And so they come down. Look at uh, Mark 9, verse 9. And they were coming down from the mountain, Mark 9, 9, the Mount of Transfiguration, according to Luke 9, 37. And we'll bounce around uh, back and forth to the Gospel of Luke, which is the, just the next one to the right. According to Luke 9.37, it was the next day that they came down from the mountain. He gave them orders not to relate to anyone what they had seen, keyword, until the Son of Man should rise from the dead. Now, I don't know how you keep quiet about all this kind of stuff. But anyway, he said, just, just wait. And they seized upon that statement, discussing with one another. Oh, excuse me. So, uh, it says, uh, anyone until the Son of Man should rise from the dead, end of nine. And verse 10 says, they seized upon that statement, discussing with one another what rising from the dead might mean. And I wrote in my margin, duh. <laughs> I mean, I'm sorry, but what rising from the dead might mean? What do you mean? <laughs> Uh, I don't know. Do you need me to repeat it? The Son of Man's going to rise from the dead. But in the Jewish mind, we have to remember, they couldn't conceive of a dying and rising Messiah. They thought that Jesus was just going to take the throne in their lifetime, that he was going to conquer Rome. They couldn't conceive that it would be a couple thousand years since a potential millennial kingdom or maybe more. We don't know. And so this is what they wondered about. They wondered, is he talking about a general resurrection? Is there some other meaning that they couldn't conceive that he was going to die? Peter said, this is never going to happen to you, Lord. Never. And he got rebuked for that. And so the Peter and the sons of thunder were probably skipping down the mountain, wouldn't you be? Wouldn't you be having all kinds of theological discussion? He doesn't want us to tell anybody, but we can talk about it. Moses, Elijah, wow! How many of you? How many of you have been on a retreat before? Raise up your hand. Wow, pretty cool. So you go up on a retreat, and you usually go up on a mountain, right? And you meet God up there, and maybe in a fresh, deep way, and you're like, "Wow, this is awesome!" And what did they experience up on the mountain? This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. And they're probably skipping down the mountain saying, Moses, Elijah, Jesus glorified the theology, the glory. Everybody should listen to Jesus. Don't you think so, James? Oh, yes, I think so, John. Everybody should listen to... Isn't that how we come home from retreats? Everybody should listen to Jesus. <laughs> We're radiating. Then we come down the mountain. And people, down in the valley. <laughs> Meanwhile, down in the valley, they're not always on the same page. Have you noticed? You come back from this momentous spiritual experience, and man, not everybody's on the same page. The experience probably sparked all kinds of theological discussion as they bounded down the mountain. We can almost picture Jesus smiling as he listened into their discussion. 
They had just seen Moses, Elijah. But something puzzled them. Because when in seeing Elijah, they had some theological questions about the timing of things. It's going to spark a question. Because the rabbi said, Elijah must come first. And that's not just what the rabbi said. Malachi 4, the end of the Old Testament, known in Italian as the book of Malachi. That's the proper way to say Malachi. Just so you know, just take a mental note. The end of the book says, I will send Elijah before the great and terrible day of the Lord, before it comes. And so they thought, well, Jesus is here, and if he's the Messiah, the day of the Lord has come, because they couldn't conceive that they were separated by thousands of years. So they were probably talking among themselves and asking about Elijah. And they said to him, look at verse 11, Mark 9, why is it that the scribes say that Elijah must come first? And he said to them, Elijah does first come and restore all things. And yet, how is it written of the Son of Man that he should suffer many things and be treated with contempt? But I say to you, 13, that Elijah has indeed come. And they did to him whatever they wished, just as it is written of him. And when they came back to the disciples, the other nine, they saw a large crowd around them and some scribes arguing or disputing with them. Now, let's hold that thought with a question about Elijah and turn back to Matthew 17. Matthew 17. So you got Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Those are the Gospels. That's the order, Matthew 17. This account, by the way, is uh, treated in Luke and Matthew. So let's pick up Matthew's account. Look at Matthew 17, verse 9. This is a question that comes up among people. As Matthew 17, 9, they were coming down from the mountain, Jesus commanded them, saying, tell the vision to no one until the Son of Man has risen from the dead. His disciples, Matthew 17, 10, asked him, saying, why then do the scribes say that Elijah must come first? And he answered and said, Elijah is coming, Bible students, if you'd like to mark your Bible, mark Elijah is coming. You might want to write in your margin there, Malachi 4, 5. And will restore all things. But I say to you that Elijah already came. That's the other part you want to mark. He is coming, verse 11, but he already came, verse 12. And they did not recognize him, but did to him whatever they wished. So also the Son of Man is going to suffer at their hands. Keep reading. Then the disciples understood that he had spoken to them about John the Baptist. Back to Mark, if you're confused, let me explain. John the Baptist came in the spirit and power of Elijah. He was an Elijah-type figure. He came as a New Testament Elijah to announce the first coming of Jesus Christ. He was the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord. And he said, he's coming, he's coming. And then he said, behold, the Lamb of God, there he is, who what? Takes away the sin of the world. In an Elijah-type ministry, very much like Elijah in what he did, John was a type of Elijah, and he came and he announced the first coming. And what did the religious leadership, or in this case, Herod, do to John? Killed him. They killed the messenger. 
They killed the one that would announce the coming. And in this sense, Elijah already came. And in the second coming, so John is the fulfillment of an Elijah-type ministry in the first coming. In the second coming, Elijah is coming. And he will restore all things. And we can see that from Malachi 4, 5, and 6. And we can also see that from Revelation 11. Pastor Chris touched on this, that Elijah is probably one of the two witnesses announcing the day of the Lord, which will be coming. Um, So there you go. Do you want to be able to defend your faith, what you believe in, why you believe it? We've tackled subjects like Jehovah's Witnesses, the origins of Christmas. In honor of the 500th year of the Reformation, we did a two-part message on sola scriptura. Is the Bible alone sufficient? Is it our highest authority? Scientology, intriguing topics that are available on the Walk in Truth store at walkintruth.com. There'll be more to come, more exciting things to come. They came down the mountain to an argument, though. There was a dispute happening. If you turn back to Mark chapter 9, at the bottom of the mountain, and that's kind of the way, this is one of our faith challenges, things that challenge our faith, is we come down sometimes from high spiritual experiences to arguments or disputes. Life in the real world, it's kind of like the mountain was a picture of heaven and the coming kingdom, and the valley or the argument was a picture of how life is now. There's glory coming, folks. We're going to meet Moses, Elijah, and many others. We're going to sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of God. Amen? There is life after death. But life down here, not always pretty. Stupid arguments, silly divisions occur at the bottom of the mountain. And here, I would just say to you, if you're taking notes, that the day after retreats sometimes the weeks after a retreat and sometimes months after a retreat can be a letdown. <laughs> Not everybody's on the same page. Now we find out what's going on. The, the argument between the scribes and the nine that were left at the bottom of the mountain, remember there's 12 disciples, nine did not go up on the mountain. Only Peter, James, and John were up there. The other nine were left to deal with what they were dealing with, and they were doing ministry, of course, but they had run into a difficult case, and here was the case There was a father with a demon-possessed boy. We don't know his age for sure, but he seems to be a younger boy. And the disciples could not cast the demon out of the boy. They had used the same formulas, apparently, that they had used in the past, and they had had success. They had come bounding back to Jesus earlier in the Gospels and said, we have power and authority in your name. But all of a sudden, they couldn't deal with this particular case. And so the scribes, always watching, always wanting to be negative, always wanting to criticize, what did they do? They said, oh, apparently you guys don't have all the power you think you do. And you represent your master. One writer says, well, now, if you can't do it, the messenger is as the man himself. You are phonies, and so is your master. You can't deal with this case of demonic possession. And the scribes were loving it. You have some people in your life who just love to watch you fail. Faith challenges come when sometimes we fail. Sometimes we tell people about the power of God and then we fall on our face. And some of our critics love to mock us. In fact, 
You know, the secular papers and the, the secular media won't say much about Christianity until a Christian falls on their face. That's when they want to talk about it. They won't talk about a pastor who's by somebody in the hospital for days as they're dealing with their mortality. They won't talk about midnight phone calls or prayer meetings or giving to the poor or helping out AIDS victims or running uh, somewhere, a relief agency Christian base to help victims of a hurricane or an earthquake or you name it. Oh, they won't highlight that. But if a pastor has a moral failure or somebody who's a Christian blows it, oh, they're right on top of that. And so when the entire crowd, look at 15, Mark 9, immediately when the entire crowd saw him, saw Jesus, they were greatly amazed. They were astonished is the language here in Greek. And they began running up to greet him, which means they saluted him or welcomed him joyfully. The question that scholars ask is, why are they astonished? Why are they, it could just be the presence of Jesus. It just could be that he's here. This is cool. We've been waiting. Or it could be that he was radiating some of the glory. And so their people moved uh, their attention from the situation and the debate to Jesus. And that's what we need to do in life. When we're getting all wrapped up in the minutia of life, please hear me. When we're getting all wrapped up in the minutia and arguments of life, we need to turn our focus back to Jesus. Are you dry right now? Turn your attention back to your Bible. You know, when we're always in debates, it can be just exhausting. We need to keep our focus on Jesus. And so Jesus asked them, this could be the apostles or the New King James says he asked the scribes, verse 16, what are you discussing with them? And one of the crowd answered him and said, Teacher, this is the dad. I brought you my son. That is, I brought him to your disciples. Possessed with a spirit which makes him mute. NIV says he is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. Turn your Bibles to Luke's parallel account in Luke 9. Here's the terrible plight. The father has spoken. There's a great crowd and he says, Jesus my boy is in terrible trouble. Luke 9, look at verse 38, the parallel account. Luke 9, 38. Behold, a man from the multitude shouted, Luke 9, 38, saying, Teacher, I beg you to look at my son, for he, we find out now, is my only boy. Look at my son. The word look at is used in Mary's Magnificat in the Gospel of Luke to look with mercy, Lord. Please focus your attention over here. He felt helpless. He was watching an unseen force destroy his boy. We're going to find out in a dialogue with Jesus that this has been happening for quite some time, and the father feels helpless, and he's a man from the multitude. He feels like um, this is, these are things that challenge our faith, faith, one hand in a thousand, a man from the multitude, a woman from the multitude. Jesus, do you know about my problems? You know, sometimes you ever just sit on the freeway and go, Lord, there are so many people, (laughs) so many. Southern California, you especially say this. Why are all these people trying to cram into this one location? I don't know. (laughs) We're part of it, though. Right? And you look at 
you know, face after face in automobiles, or you might see a huge crowd somewhere, and you're like, Lord, my one hand, when my hand goes up in the multitude, do you really hear me? Do you care about me? Lord, I believe, but there's a lot of people. How do you keep track of it all? I'm dealing with just three or four, and they're driving me crazy. Can I get a witness? <laughs> I believe, but I feel helpless. Isaiah 25, 4 says, God, you are a defense for the helpless, a defense for the needy. Isaiah 25, 4, in his distress, a refuge from the storm, a shade from the heat. There's a sense of urgency. The devil had robbed his son of everything, including his speech. Look at verse 39 of Luke 9. Behold, the spirit, a spirit seizes him. This is all this boy can do. He suddenly screams. It throws him into a convulsion with foaming at the mouth. And as it mauls him, it scarcely leaves him. Help. This thing, whatever this thing is, is destroying my boy. And I, I had a glimmer of hope because these nine that represent you, I heard you're a healer. And so I asked them, and disappointment has rushed into my soul because not even they that represent you could deliver him. Now what? Things that challenge your faith. I believe, but not even Jesus' disciples could deal with this spiritual force. Now, what do I do? This thing won't even leave him alone. The only sound that my boy, my pride and joy can make is to scream. That's all he's got. He's deaf. He's mute. Satan loves to mar the image of God. He tries to get people convinced that you're not made in the Imago Day. He tries to get you convinced that there is no God. Nobody cares about you. In fact, he loves to whisper to people, you may as well die. Look at all your problems. What's God doing about your problems? I mean, imagine being in this father's sandals. He's exhausted everything. There are people all over the planet that are hopeless, they feel helpless. They don't know what to do. They start to doubt their faith. Kim Meter was uh, being in, uh, interviewed by Frank Sontag. She runs a ranch called uh, Crystal Peak um, Youth Ranch. And they take horses that have been abused, and they take abused children and bring them up to this horse ranch. And as the children uh, minister to the horses that have been, become skittish and been mistreated, it ministers to the children as well. And Kim Meter began to share her story, and she said that when she was a little girl, she, they threw everybody in the car, her and her two siblings, and they drove off to Grandma's house, and nobody was talking, and she had a terrible sinking feeling. And I think she was maybe nine or 10 years old. And she said that when she got to the house, everybody was crying, and everybody was distraught, and a woman that she barely knew pulled her to the side and said, I'm so sorry to tell you this as the woman was sobbing, but your father just murdered your mother. And she said she didn't know what to do. 
I think, as I recall the story, a friend of the family had brought her to church a couple times, but she was devastated. And she was like, no, no, that can't have happened. No, my father loves my mother in reality. She went running off into a field and put her face in the dirt. And she said the only thing that she knew to do was cry out the name of Jesus. She said, I didn't even really know who Jesus was. She said, I kind of had an idea that he was the man that died on the cross, but that's about all I knew. But something deep inside me said, cry out to Jesus. And she did. Now she's doing phenomenal ministry, helping people get through their own wounds and brokenness. And you know, when we talk about things that challenge our faith, there's going to be seasons when things are inexplicable. There's no great... uh, reason that someone can give you and we get in trouble sometimes when we try to solve people's problems in the moment by quoting a bible verse and i'm not saying that there's not power in the word but i'd be very careful when you quote bible verses to people sometimes we just need to listen to people sometimes we just need to say to people i'm here and i'm just going to pray for you Hey, if you've been listening to these radio messages and you've opened your heart to Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, you may be asking the question, what do I do now? Let me give you four things really quick of what to do after you become a Christian. Number one is read your Bible. You know, the Bible is like spiritual nourishment for your soul. It's spiritual food for the inner man. So think of your Bible as food for the soul. Get into your Bible and get your Bible into you. Open it up and read it for yourself. Number two, find a good, healthy Bible teaching church. You know, it's not enough for a church to say they're Bible believing. Make sure that they're Bible teaching and make sure that they teach in an expository fashion, going through passages and explaining the meaning of the text. Number three is to pray. You know, prayer is really a two-way communication with you and God. Pray with an open Bible. Keep your heart open. The Lord will speak to you primarily through the scriptures, but he can also speak to your heart and show you what to do. And number four is share your faith with others. Tell people about the good news of Jesus Christ that you have embraced personally in your life. Tell them about how you've been born again to a living hope in Christ. That will give them the opportunity to meet Jesus Christ themselves. And it will also keep you accountable to this new life that you have in Christ. If we can be of help in any way, we'd like to know. We'd like to know if you made a decision to follow Christ. And if you're looking for a church to plug into, if you have questions, if you are looking for a healthy church, if we can help you in any way, If you've been listening to Walk in Truth for a while and you're benefiting from this radio broadcast and you believe in it, then we need you to partner with us. You can do that by going to our website at walkintruth.com and check out Walk Together based upon Amos 3.3. How can two walk together unless they be agreed? Well, if you agree with what we're doing, you're benefiting from it, you want others to hear about it, you can partner with us to reach more people through the radio airwaves at walkintruth.com. Help us out. Partner with us today, walkintruth.com. Thank you for listening to today's program. If you'd like to listen to this message in its entirety, or if you'd like to visit our church here in Corona, California, visit our website, walkintruth.com.